0: do this before we get started. Can we do this? So if, if you raised your hand when we were doing that altar moment, I, I know I've I'm, I'm asked you to come up and talk to me at the end of the service, but I just, I just want to create an opportunity. It's your choice. I'm not going to point you out if you don't, but if, if, you, if there's just something inside of you that says, you know what, I want people to know that I prayed that prayer tonight. I want people to know that I took my first spiritual breath. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand right now, and I'm going to give you this book so people can see you. Come on, one brave lady over here. Come on. That's so awesome. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. That's good. Anybody else? Somebody else? I see another hand. Come on. It's good. That's good. Joy, did you raise your hand? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Somebody else? Anybody else? Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer, and you wish you had raised your hand. Anybody in that category? All right. All right. Did I miss anybody? No? All right. That's good stuff. All right, if you, if, you, if you didn't raise your hand just then and you still want to come up into the service, I got a gift for you. I want to give it to you. So come on, that's good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff, good stuff. And you people say, what did you see happen this week? And you can say, I saw somebody be born. People are like, what? And then you can tell them the story. Yeah, I saw some people. Make a decision for Christ. They took their first spiritual breath, so it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Let's just pray for them one more time. Can we do that? Yeah. Father, we just lift up every person that just raised their hand again, Father, and uh, we, we just say, God, let, let this week be a week where they know that you have gone before them. We, we know, God, that there are weeks where there are trials. We know there are weeks where there are going to be temptations. That's part of the way that you grow us, God, but we just we just... Praying tonight on behalf of these people that we love dearly, even though many of them we don't even know. Let this week be a week where they feel as though There is an open heaven over every day. That your favor is just being poured out upon them. That your grace will abound in them, God. If there are things that they're wrestling with, that they would just be able to have victory over those things, God. We pray for revelation like they've never had it before. As they open up your word, that they would feel your voice like they never have before when they bend their knee in prayer. That they would see that you are alive and well in them. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. amen. If you're here, just you, you might not know who you are, but can, can we just make it that every day this week, there's going to be a moment that we come to where we just say, God, I lift up every person that raised their hand and prayed that prayer this week. Let's just do that this week for the next seven days. As a church, the Holy Spirit will remind you to do it. Just resolve it in your heart, you're going to do it, and it'll happen. So hey, can we just say thank you to, you guys love on us so good, more than we deserve. Can we just say that? More than we deserve. You guys love on us, and so I just I want to just share a couple of things, too, and then I'm going to get into the into the message, but um, just over the last couple of weeks, I feel like God's been speaking to me. We're going to be talking more about this at our anniversary service at the end of January, so you're going to have to hang out with us for a little bit longer to get that, and, uh, but, but the, this October was our seven-year anniversary of coming on staff. At City Life, so seven years we've been here. Some of you are saying, "Good God, it feels like 14." But right, so seven years. This this past October, and, and this is I was in uh, North Riverside Baptist Church where we rent office space. I was in there praying, and uh, I felt like God spoke to me and says, "This is the ending of the season of your beginning. This is the ending of your season." Of beginning. Now, what does that mean? Because when we first came here, it took us a few years to find our footing in this new role, in this new place. And then once we began to find our footing, it took us a few years to find our footing as a, as a leadership team, people that, that God raised up to be leaders. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight in, in certain areas of the church. But it took us as a leadership team to find our footing together. And then I would say for the last few years, it's taken us some time to find our footing with our vision, who we're supposed to be, what God's called us to do. It doesn't happened over. We've been on a seven-year journey of beginning, but I think the season of our beginning is over, and I feel like what God's saying is now it's time to run. It's just time for us to run after the things that God's called us to do, the impact that we're supposed to have in this region, and so we're going to talk about more specifically what that's going to look like at the end of January, and some of you might say, good gracious, because some of you were here before we came. Some of you have been here for nine years, and you're saying, Fred, if now we're saying it's time to run, what have we been doing for these last nine right? And what I would say is we've been getting in shape. We've been getting in shape. God has been conditioning us for the more that he has us to do. As part of the story of David with the the, the slaying of the bear and the lion, as great as those things were, it's because there was a giant that was waiting for him. God's been conditioning us and getting us in shape. You might be saying that, Fred, we've just come to this church because we're worn out, because we got burned out from the last church. What I would say is we have spiritual stretchers. We will put you on it. We will carry you with us as long as it takes. You will heal along the way, and you will run again. You will run again. Come on. It's going to be good. So, all right, that's a little advertisement for the end of January. All right, end of January. Let's, can, let's do this too. I'm having fun tonight. You having a good time tonight? All right. So we were at, which this is a, an appropriate giveaway, right? We're doing Soap for Hope giveaways. Uh, for uh, Juice and Steph, Pastor Justin and Stephanie uh, are raising money for an adoption, and uh, so they're selling these amazing soaps, so we, it's a little bit tricky giving away soap as a giveaway, right, because of the implication that it could be, so, and then I've got a, a, a gift card too to a restaurant, because we were at uh, the Mariners Museum as a church was one of our first big community outreaches and so we were the volunteer provider for the Pirate Run at the Mariners Museum today and Adrian was the only person for City Life that ran on behalf of the church. So, she, so she's earned the soap giveaway, right? And then there's a food giveaway we're gonna give to her too. So, all right, all right. that's great. She had the shirt, you know, we had special shirts made up, and it had a lot of the stuff about the church on the back of the shirt, so when we gave it to her, we said, hey, there's a lot of pressure. You cannot be in last place, because then nobody's going to learn about the church when you're running, right, because it's all that. So you've at least got to be in the middle of the pack or better, and so it was, we had a great time out there today if you were with us. So, um, so we're in this series. We're deep into this series. We're going to be into this series uh, probably all the way right up to the weekend before Thanksgiving, maybe all the way through November. We might stay in this until the December series launches, and uh, I'm excited about where this is going. We're, We're following the word hope throughout the Bible. That's what we've been doing. We've been doing a word study and researching, and where this word has taken us is where these sermons have gone. And uh, we're doing, as you know, if you were here last week, A Hope for Generosity. Uh, We're talking about giving in the church and specifically why that's a part of the series. Uh, And then this week I was doing some study for where we're gonna be going in November and I was digging around in the book of 1 Thessalonians. There's just some amazing things in there about hope and how much Paul teaches about hope. So I'm excited about where we are in the series, where we've been in the series, and where we're going in the series. And I hope you are too. We've mentioned that, hey, there's a difference between the human emotion of hope and the virtue of hope. We use the word hope so many times and just throughout our daily lives, but really it's referencing an emotion that can be a little bit superficial, but there's something else that the Bible speaks to that rises to the level of a virtue, and we find this in the book of Romans. These are the two verses I'm pointing out at the beginning of every message in this series is Romans 4, 18 says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him that's how many descendants that you will have he's a hundred his wife's in her 90s there was no possibility for them to have children but yet they still hoped because they had a promise from God that's virtue 1 Peter 3.15 talks about how when the world looks at us as followers of Christ, they should find in us this virtue of hope, and we should be prepared to give them a reason why. We should be prepared to talk with them about there's this thing that we can feel that's deeper than any human can create on their own. It's called hope, and the only reason that we can is because of who Jesus is inside of us. So we started out, right? We talked about Ruth a little bit. That's the first mention of hope in the Old Testament, just for a little bit of a recap. And part of those messages, we talked about how God has a divine destiny for us, one that is guaranteed by his sovereignty and never threatened by our circumstances. And so if you've not been here, you can get these notes online or you can get them through the podcast. And so we're just trying to lay a little groundwork for where we're headed. And so last week, I shared with you that the week before in my study time, I had said, hey, I wonder where the last mention of hope is in the Old Testament. And we preached about this at length last week, and we're going to keep going in it this week, and then we're going to do it again the week after. God has a kingdom economy for us, one that is governed by his scripture and never transcended by our conclusions. I'm I'm writing that out of Zechariah 9.12, where God says, come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Again, I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. And as I read that, this is what I felt like God spoke to me, which has kind of gotten us on this track of where we're following the word hope over these few weeks. There's a backwardness to the kingdom of God. It's a little upside down from our human perspective. And part of this idea of where we're in this conversation where we're going about giving to our, our church, there's a backwardness to that because the Kingdom economy part of the kingdom of economy is there are times when God asks us to stand in a place of having less because he's trying to position us into a place of receiving more let me say that again there's times where God asks us to stand in a place of having less because he's trying to position us into a place of receiving more and we talked about a few of the other upside down feeling things about the kingdom of heaven and how sometimes what Jesus says it's so counterintuitive to our humanity in the kingdom economy the economy of the kingdom of heaven is certainly no different so all right I've got another giveaway here I've got an iTunes gift cards. so somebody who was paying attention last week I used this story in two ways can you give me one of the two ways that we use this story to set up a principle? Anybody? iTunes gift card? Any takers? All right, Kevin Garcia. Yeah, come on, that's good. Yes. Well done, Kevin Garcia. Paying attention, and shame on the rest of you who were here last week. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So there is, therefore, now no condemnation in Christ, but a little time, often here at the City Life Church. All right. So, so, so what we said is, hey, hey, that you can have, you can have wrong thinking in your life that's affecting your true north. So I talked about how we you can use a compass and if you, that compass is next to a metal building or electrical source that it'll affect its ability to work and we can have things that we've been taught about giving that affect our our, our our sense of compass for what's true in God's word. And then we talked about do I trust their experience in the field. I talked about on that story how we had field guides on that hunt and that we trusted where they were taking us. All of us need to find our way into a church that we can call home where there are people who are a little bit farther along than we are in our spiritual journey that we can trust them to lead us. Not control us, not tell us what to do, not tell us how to live, not talking about that, but people that we can turn to when maybe we're feeling a little bit lost and say, what do you think? And we can trust the counsel that they're going to give to our lives. Well, nice work, Kevin Garcia. Come on. All right, so last weekend, these are the two we did. So if you want to get it on the podcast or the notes online, we're talking specifically about giving to the church and sometimes how that feels upside down and backwards. We talked about the portion and we talked about the consequence. Now, I'm going to try to get through three more tonight. If we don't, we'll just keep pushing them and we'll get through all we can. Next week, there's eight total. Uh, and then the ones that we don't, maybe we don't get all the way, I'll just blog those and, and then you can get those online. So I want to talk a little bit about, tonight about the priority talk about the priority. For, for a tithe to be a tithe, rising to the biblical standard of a tithe, right, which we explained last week in the portion and the consequence, there's a, there's a sense of priority that has to accompany it. And, and we get this idea of the, the, the sense of a priority. I want to read in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. Let me read you out of Proverbs, I'm going to talk about these three verses a little bit. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. And then Matthew 6, 33, many of you know this, that seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. In the kingdom of heaven, there, there is this principle called the principle of first. And it applies to everything in regards to our relationship with God. It, it's, just, it's a basic concept, is that when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we're saying, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. Now, in so many other areas of our lives, we have times where we step into places where something is first, but then when we step out of that place, they're not the first anymore. Does that make sense? So on your job, there's times where you, when you're there that, 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 that you understand that your boss is a place of first in your life. Does that make sense? On Christmas morning when you're with your kids and you're opening up presents and your boss is calling, you don't take that call. Are you tracking with me? Because your kids are first in your life. We understand this idea that we move in and out of places where they're first, then they're not first. And we shift. It. With God, we never move out of a place of him being first. We, 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 we want to compartmentalize our Christianity, but Christianity is supposed to be the umbrella over everything else of who we are. And so when it comes to our time, when it comes to our devotion, when it comes to our, our affection, God is supposed to be first. It does not change when it comes to our finances. There, we're going to get into this next week, but there's this great verse where, where, where God says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's saying, hey, everything in the world belongs to me. Whatever you have, I've just entrusted it to you to steward it, but it's all mine. And there has to be a heart that we live with when it comes to our giving, that we're not giving God anything of ours. We're just giving back to him what belongs to him, and it has to be first. There has to be a sense of priority that accompanies the gift of a tithe. So let me read you out of this. I read out of this book every year. This is the best book I've ever read on giving. It breaks it down into some deep deep teaching. It's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Do not read it if you do not want to be challenged because he will most certainly challenge you. The first belongs to God. We find this principle all throughout God's word. That's what we just talked about. We can give God the first of our time. We can give him the first of our finances. That's what tithing really is, giving our first to God. It's saying, God, I'm going to give you to you first and trust you to redeem the rest. I'm gonna talk about this idea of redemption. We need to understand the difference between redemption and reciprocity because that's a, a piece that people often miss when it comes to tithing. Put another way, when a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible. So he's looking back at the, the, the practice of, of, the, uh, of the Israelites Uh, during during the, the time of the old testament it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce nevertheless god didn't say let your you produce nine lambs first and then give me the next one no god says give me the first one it always requires faith to give first that's why listen to what he says and i believe this that's why so few christians experience the blessing of tithing it means giving to god before you see if you're going to have enough by tithing, it is as if we're saying to God, I recognize you first, and I'm putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. That's why tithing is so it's the primary way we acknowledge that God is first. The first portion is the redemptive portion. The redemptive portion. I'm going to explain what that means. In other words, when the first portion is given to God, the rest is redeemed. Now, there's another principle in the Bible called reciprocity. We reap what we sow. We understand that, right? When, 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 when we when we give, whatever we're giving of, of our time, of our material resources, God says, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. So when you give a financial gift to a church, if, if you're not giving with with the sense of it becoming the priority that you're giving it first if that's not the central part of your home's financial plan you're still going to benefit from the principle of reciprocity are you tracking with me right it's a little bit complicated so you 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 give something but if you're not giving in the true spirit of the tithe you're still going to benefit from reciprocity you reap what you sow but tithing steps beyond reciprocity into the place of redemption. Tithing, when you give it first, when your tithe is the central part of your family's financial plan, then you step into the places of redemption, which means that when you give that gift, that there is a redemptive effect on what remains. It means that you have now redeemed what's left so that what you have left over is now positioned for the favor of God. You can give and benefit from reciprocity, but when you step in the true spirit of the tithe, not only do you benefit from reciprocity, but you benefit from redemption. You're redeeming the rest of what God says you keep. Now we now part of this message as I shared last week. I don't want to tell all over again this week for the sake of time but this is this is personal for us because what we're talking to you about is for us as a family how do we live right there's times where the message is more of a I think you should and there's times we preach like that but this is more of a message last week this week and next week of what we do and then you got to decide for yourself whether or not you think you should does that make sense So, we're we're talking to you about how we live our lives and how we lived our lives long before we were in vocational ministry. This has been a central part of our Christian experience. And it's been tested and tried. You might be out there today and say, Well, Fred, that's easy for you because you've never been in a place of financial hardship. But when we moved here in 2007, we put our life savings into a townhome that we bought. Two years later, we found that it was built with toxic Chinese drywall. We had to move out of that townhome. We lost everything and we lived on the verge of bankruptcy for several years. And many of you know that. you've been tracking with us for any amount of time. When we moved into that little apartment and we had lost, we'd lost everything and, and, in 2009, we, made it, we had to make a decision, right? We had to retool our whole financial plan. You know the first thing that we did? We decided what's our tithe going to be and that didn't change, right? 10% of our gross annual income. We said that's going to be the central part of our financial plan regardless of our financial circumstances because we believe in the power of redemption, that, that we can benefit from reciprocity and give less, certainly we can. But we're going to make this thing the portion it's supposed to be. We're going to let it be the priority that it's supposed to be, regardless of our situation. And I, can I just tell you that we have walked in the favor of God through financial crisis. Now, we're on the other side of that crisis, and I'm a firm believer. One of the reasons why we're on the other side of that crisis is because we were obedient even when it was hard. This is this idea that God says, will you trust me? If, if it's never hard or it's never a sacrifice, how do we learn or how do we grow, right? How do we learn? How do, how do we ever have the benefit of walking in faith? Part, part of that story too is just a month before we found out, I was in our study in the, the, the first floor of the, of the townhouse. I was down there praying late one afternoon and studying and I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to sell your boat. I said, what, you want me to, to make a moat? I want you to sell your boat. I don't have any goats. I can't sell any goats, right? I'm like, I'm not selling this, right? I'm not selling my boat, right? God says, I want you to sell not your boat. I want you to sell my boat that I let you, let, let you borrow, right? <laughs> I don't right, if you're going to put it that way, okay? Because you know, we love being you know, part of our part of our family, and so we didn't know about the Chinese drywall. I'm saying this is four weeks before we found out, and we put that nobody buys a boat at the end of the season, right? Because then you've got to pay to store it, you don't get to use it, and I, and so I just I knew I just put it on, and when Vanessa came, up, I said, hey, I put our boat for it. She's like, what? Right? And so I told her the story. And I said, All right, we're gonna trust God, right? And so that boat sold within like a day. It was unbelievable. We got what we were asking for it, and uh, and and then four weeks later, we found out that we were gonna lose everything. Hey, God is taking care of us, right? To, to, he knew we were in a place where we were gonna to have to retool our entire, we were gonna to have to sell that boat anyways, but now it became a part of our story of God saying, I'm gonna take care of you. It might surprise you, it doesn't surprise me. Come on, we walk in obedience, we stand in a place of faith. I cannot expect to walk in the blessing of the tithe if I do not give in the spirit of the tithe. I cannot expect to walk in the blessing of the tithe if I do not give in the spirit of the tithe, and the spirit of the tithe demands that it steps into a place of priority. Let's talk about the place. This is an important part of our conversation, important part of how we've lived our lives long before we were in vocational ministry. In Deuteronomy 12, 6 through 12, we, we, we find that there is a shift in the, in, the, in the Israelite culture, in the Jewish culture. They're getting ready to cross into the promised land. We're not gonna turn there tonight, but for the note takers, you can write it down and read it yourself to make sure that I'm telling you the truth. That Deuteronomy 12, six through 12, talks about how there was gonna be a shift. That when they get into the promised land, they were gonna now be expected to bring their tithes and offerings to a place of worship. That was new for them. God was establishing something. And then when you get into Joshua 21, one through three, In 41 through 45, you you find that there was a certain tribe, right? Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And what you find is that when the allotment of land is being given out, there is no portion of land that's being given to the Levites. And what they were given were certain cities and certain pasture lands, but they did not have an inheritance of the land because their inheritance was to serve God and to give their life for the spiritual well-being of their communities. And then those communities were in turn going to take care of them out of the inheritance that they had Receive And so, right, and so Levi's not there. If you're reading that, and just a a little bit of education is that as you're reading through those, also Joseph's name is not mentioned because his two sons are mentioned. So there's 12, and that's Manasseh and Ephraim. So you still have 12, even though Joseph and Levi aren't mentioned. So if you're reading that, if you were wondering why that is, that's that's the reason why. What God was establishing is a value. I think right here, when God was creating a nation that was going to reveal himself to the world, that was the, the great blessing that the Jewish people were asked to step into, is that as part of, of, of their, 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 their blessing and part of revealing God to the world was to also to reveal to the world, it was a prophetic picture of what, how churches were supposed to function. And, and part of what God was establishing is the value of people being in a place where they can give their lives vocationally and all of their time and attention to the spiritual well-being of the community that they live in. And and so this is part of the reason why we believe that the place where you bring your tithe is to the church that you call home because we still believe that this value was important for us today that our society needs to have people that can give their lives so that they're available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why we're careful about before we give anybody the title of pastors, because once you carry that title, you've got to step into a place where you're saying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, my life is going to be available to people that are in crisis, that are in need. The calling of my life is to serve people spiritually. And so As we get into the New Testament, the view that I find is that the Apostle Paul is writing all these letters to all these churches that he planted. And as as you read the Pauline epistles, as you study them, what you find is that Paul challenges them to do the same thing, that he challenges them to make sure that they're taking care of the people who are giving their lives full-time to the work of that church. And so what we find is a value being established in the Old Testament, that's the view that we have when we get to the New Testament, which brings us to a verdict and a conclusion that that's how we're supposed to practice our lives today. So let's talk a little bit about specifically about city life, because last week, one of the reasons why I believe that people get frustrated with sermons on giving is because the churches that they go to do not have good systems of accountability. The the people who are making financial decisions, sometimes their their life, their character might be a little bit suspect. And so we said, hey, we're going to pause the sermon a little bit this weekend to talk a little bit about how we're structured, because this is important that you know. And then next weekend, we're going to have a little snapshot of where we are going into our, our last quarter for the people that call us their church home just for a couple of minutes. We have something here called a finance life team. It's shocking to me how few churches have these. It's shocking to me. Shocking to me. Even friends of mine who, who are pastors that oftentimes in my conversation, I, I talk to them and say, you have got to get something like this set up in your church. If not your, your church in your future, you're going to be headed for a train wreck. It's so important to have accountability with the money that comes into the church. That's why you open up the headlines and you see all these pastors that get into trouble. is because they have not created systems in place to protect themselves from themselves right? So we have a finance life team here at City Life. It's one of the first things that we established when we moved here in 2007 as we created a finance life team. In order to be on the finance life team, you have to be on our ministry life team council. You cannot be a paid member of the church. You cannot be a paid member of the church, and you, and you can't have family members who are paid members of the church, I've known churches, right, where all all of their elders are are paid staff and all of the people that are making decisions about the money are, are, are paid staff. I'm just telling you that's dangerous. It's dangerous because all of us are subject to temptation and we have to make sure that we create systems around us that keep us accountable. So I'm on the finance life team, but Steve and Kim Walls are on the finance life team. Where's Steve and Kim? Are they in here? They might be out there. Steve and Kim in the back, they're on the finance team. Chandler and Celeste are going to be joining our finance team from the Williamsburg campus. We're excited about them. And then Jason and Amy Kearney, are they in here or on the the finance team? And they're on there as trustees, and we're going to talk about that. So Jim Bell used to be on the finance life team. He served faithfully on that team. But when we hired Jamie, you with me? This is us being true to our principles. We said, Jim, you can't be on this team anymore, right? Because now your son's a paid member of the church. You can walk into meetings and decisions and churches do this where they say to themselves, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be biased in any way with these decisions. But if your livelihood is dependent on those numbers, it doesn't matter how integrous you are, you're gonna be vulnerable you're going to be vulnerable in those meetings. And we've just said, we're not going to be that church. We're not ever going to be that church. And so part of the Finance Life team, it's anchored by our trustees who are elected by our church. Jason and Amy were elected by the church to stand in a place of being trustees. They stand in an important place because in a lot of churches, the lead pastor sits with the governance team and they sit on the finance team if they have one, but there's nobody else that pulls double duty. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous way for churches to function. It's dangerous because the temptation of the pastor then, when they've got something they're trying to do that they're really excited about, they go to the governance team and say, the finance team, they're really behind this idea. I'm just telling you, right? Then they get into the finance team. What do they say? The, go- the elders, they're really excited about this idea, right? I mean, it's the temptation of our humanity. I'm human. So what we said is, hey, I'm going to protect myself from that, temptation. So the Kearnies bear the responsibility as trustees to sit in both of those worlds with me so that there's accountability. It's so important for a church to put its own hedge of protection around itself beyond what God's already doing supernaturally. Be practical in how you protect yourself from temptation talked a little bit about staff. Staff can't be on the finance team. Staff can't be a part of those those decisions. And then we have an annual meeting, an annual business meeting at the end of February every year where we bring a full report of all the finances. It's extensive. It's a big report. It's shocking to me. Sometimes I see the financial reports that churches put out. They have multi-million dollar budgets and it's one page with a handful of of, of line items. I'm thinking to myself, where, where is the accountability in that? We have an open books policy. So we're we're giving you more than what many of you would ever hope to see, right? It's page after page. We invest the time. We open the floor for questions. This is an important part. So when we're saying to you, if you call this your home church, make The City Life Church, the place that is your priority for your tithe, what we're saying back to you is, hey, there are systems in place to make sure that money's going to be used in a way that's honorable and that you have an opportunity to ask any question that you want. And we have people in place, some that you yourself have elected to make sure that everything is being done right and being done well. The culture of City Life is to tithe at the church we call home. Now, why do I say it's the culture of the City Life? Because this is where I think churches get into a little bit of trouble too. They begin to teach things that are part of their culture as if there is a clear mandate that's given to us. I believe that there's a very clear mandate given to us in Scripture about tithing. I think that's very clear, and that's part of what we're talking about in this series. But I think it's not so clear where you're going to put that tithe. I don't think that it is. And I think churches get into trouble by teaching things to a degree of specificity that's beyond what the word of God says. What do I say when I mean that? So let me give you an example. The way we worship, the kind of music that we do, there's there's no scriptural mandate for that, those exact songs by those exact artists, right? The mandate is expressive worship. The mandate is worship that awakens people to the presence of God. That's what psalmic worship, worship is, right? But there's a culture to our church that maybe some people may or may not, they might not get, right? Sometimes visitors come and say, you know, I would prefer to be in a church where there's a choir and an organ. And we say, hey, come on, we recommend churches to them that fits that because there's other churches that have that culture. Are you tracking with me? And where churches get into into trouble is where they try to make their culture a spiritual mandate. Instead of just being honest and unapologetic, this is who we are. This is the part of the culture of our church. When, When we say that tithing to this church, it's part of our culture. It means that we've just decided, the people who call this their home church, we believe that God's saying to us, we want our tithe to 100% of it to all go here because we believe in the vision of this church. We're excited about what's happening in this church. It's part of the culture of this church. The mandate, the mandate which is clear, is that the people, if you go there, you should give in some capacity to make sure that the ministries of that church are funded, to make sure that the staff of that church is cared for. That's the mandate. But I don't believe that it goes to the place of specificity that many churches teach. And so we're just honest about what we read, and we're honest about what we teach. So what we say is, this is just our culture. And if you're going to call this your church home, we're going to be unapologetic about what we ask. And so there's no requirement of you if you join here to tithe but at the point you step into a place of leadership then that changes that makes sense we say if you're going to lead here then you've got to embrace everything that's a part of our culture so all of our leaders are expected to walk in a place of tithing if you're a part here then we just say make sure that you're giving in some capacity and then we think that we're going to capture your heart with our vision and then at some point you'll be tithing here as well does that make sense A question. Can we pause for a minute? Somebody have a question that you want to ask? We do things differently here at the City Life Church. A question. Anybody? Seriously? Yes, ma'am. Do we tithe up to anyone? We we don't tithe up, which is a great question. We give uh, an offering to Elam Fellowship, which is the group that we're associated with. And and so this is another thing that's a part of culture of churches. But then I would say there's not a scriptural mandate for that. That's where they get again they get into trouble. So there's not a scriptural mandate for a church to tithe or say tithe to missions. Or those are things that are cultural expressions of churches. And so for us, we we give to missions, we give to but it's but it's not governed by our percentage. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Come on, somebody else, somebody else. Question about what we're talking about. No. Either you guys are lying or I'm doing a really good job. And I'm going to defer to the latter. I'm going to defer to the latter. Right? All right. All right, so let's talk about the attitude. Let's talk about the attitude. 2 Kings 23, 1 through 3. Oh, I like these verses. 2 Kings 23, 1 through 3. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets and all the people from the least to the greatest. And there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, all his laws, all his decrees with all of his heart and his soul. And in this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Now, this is a fascinating little piece of insight into the history of Israel. They had lost the instruction of the Mosaic law or at least a large portion of it. From David's time to King Josiah's time was 400 years. And in four centuries, they had lost their way as a nation. Four centuries. Can you imagine, like, when we read in the Old Testament, right, Then so many times the Jewish people were standing in a place of rebellion, we're just assuming that they always had the knowledge of God's Word, and back then the Old Testament was all that they had, the writing of the prophets and the poets and the history and, 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 and the, all those pieces and the songs. And, 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 but we're getting an insight here that, that there was a failure by the leadership of that nation. They, can you imagine? They misplaced all the things that God had given to them to instruct the people. And so, right, they're just spring cleaning. I don't, we're not told how they found it, right? Somebody, whoa, what are these scrolls? They begin to open them. You read the story yourself. They begin to grieve because they begin to realize we're not doing anything that's written in here. They took it to the king. The king begins to grieve. What have we done? And so they walk through this beautiful process of rededicating this, and I love how it says all, right? They didn't say, I don't like this scroll, Oh, we're definitely, oh God, let's get rid of it. Put those back from where you found them and cover them up, right? Right? They said, no, all that we found, all of it's from God, and we're going to give all of ourselves to it, every part of it. Can you imagine the kind of change that took place in those homes and amongst those people and in that nation when they gave themselves? Fully. And, and this piece where it says, when he stood before the people in a public place, this is why we say don't read through the Bible too fast. It's, it's more important for you to read deep than it is for you to finish your goal by reading the Bible at the end of the year. you tracking with me? Your, your goal is to learn and have revelation. If you, don't, if you don't meet your goal, we would rather you read less and learn more than read more and not really remember anything that you just read, but you go, Whoo, did that today, right? Don't do that. And so there's this little piece of information that says, he stood by the pillar. There should be something inside of us that says, huh, I wonder what that is, right? This is why you need a beard. Huh, I wonder what that is. All right. And if you were to Google that or research it or do a word study in some Bible software you have, it would take you to 1 Kings chapter 7. And what you find in 1 Kings chapter 7 is when they built Solomon's temple, there were two massive two huge columns that were a part of this structure. You should read it for yourself. They were incredible, and they named the columns. They named them Jachin and Boaz, and Jachin means he will establish, and Boaz means in him is strength. So the question for us is, are we standing between the pillars? It's not a coincidence that Josiah went up, and before the entire nation, he stood between these two great pillars as he said to the nation, this is how we're going to live our lives. And there's a reason why those pillars were part of the temple is because if you remember when we got started tonight, before this temple was ever built, God says, hey, from now on, when you enter the promised land, you're going to be asked to bring your tithes and offerings to a place of worship. This is the place of worship that they would go to because God knew, even though they didn't know it yet, there was going to be these two columns there. And these two columns speak to the attitude that we're supposed to have whenever we give to the place of worship that we call home. It's why we tithe as a family. It's why we practice that as leaders as a church is because there are not physical columns that are here but they are, if you know what I mean. Because this column, this column, Jacob, this column, Boaz, it means that God has the strength to keep his promise that he's made to you. That he can establish you, he can establish your life in his favor when you walk in obedience. That, that when you give, part of giving with the right attitude means that you're living your life between the pillars. It means that when I give this gift, I'm not giving it because the pastor said I'm supposed to, or right. I've, the, the Bible says I have to. The attitude is an important part of it. The, the way that you give, the attitude of your heart it matters, and when you live your life between your pillars and you write that check or you give that offering, and we're going to talk about the difference between tithes and offerings next week, but when, whenever you're stepping into a place of giving, there should be something inside of you that gets excited. I get excited when we write that check every month because there's, there's times where I just imagine standing between those pillars at Solomon's temple, and I, and I just it's my declaration, God, I believe that you are strong enough to keep your promise to me, your Malachi 3 promise, your Zachariah promise that's got us on this conversation about hope, and that you will establish my life in your favor as I walk in obedience to all of your word, to every scroll. The standard of the tithe is not reached until the sentiment of the heart from which it comes crosses the threshold of gladness. You can stand at a distance and look at those pillars, but it's something different when you cross that threshold and let them begin to define the way that you live. It changes everything. Invite the worship team to come back up. So we're at the pirate run at what we call in our family affectionately the butt crack of dawn. Alarm clock went off at an ungodly hour on a Saturday, so we're there, and we're all excited, and we've got our our Pirate Run t-shirts on, and everybody, Jason and Amy, did a great job setting that up for us, and so excited! I think Juice had a huge hand in designing those logos, and Pastor Jamie, and what they did behind the scenes, and Terrence, and it just it was a great day. I hope that we're going to be able to go back next year and do that again. And and uh, and so we're there. And one of the things that we did as being the, the 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 non-profit organization that kind of helped sponsor the event is that we provided all the water bottles for free for all the runners. So we had like a thousand water bottles that we took with us, and we were gonna we were we were at the finish line. So we had a banner for the church and a little. 10 and and so we're there and handing out water bottles as the runners come through but 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 i guess it was about there was a 10k and there was a 5k and the the 10k is about six point something miles right and about they had started about 15 minutes ago and it was probably going to be about 35 40 minutes for the first runners would start coming through and uh and one of the main security personnel came over and says your table is set up in the wrong place right now we've got a crazy amount of water bottles already broken out on the table, reach cards are all put out in a nice way, and the banner's tied and everything stacked, and he said, you're on the wrong side of the finish line. You're supposed to be over there, right? So I said, well, you're gonna have to move the finish line, right? Because we're not moving. Because the race coordinator came, told us to be here. You, did, you reroute the runners. You got those little signs everywhere with the arrows on it, flip it around and let them come a different way, because we're, this is where we move the finish line back. At 10 point what? Who really cares, right? Come on give me a break. I didn't say that. Is that what I said? Of course not. Oh, I thought it, but I didn't say it. I said, of course we'll move. Absolutely. If we're in the wrong place, tell us where you want us to go. We'll set up wherever. So we turned to the team. Hey, we got to move it. Everybody on the team said, of course we're going to move it, right? Because that's the attitude of our heart. So we moved everything to the other side, and we were in there plenty of time before those first runners came through. Why am I telling you that story? Because this is how so many of us treat God. We we find in this book that our life is in the wrong place. And what we say is, oh God, you're going to have to move that because I'm not doing that. I'm not living my life this way. This is part of being a devoted follower of Christ is that when we realize that our lives, whether it's in our giving, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our parenting, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on, when we read this book, like Josiah, finding those scrolls, and we realize that our lives are in the wrong place, what we say is, oh God, help me to move whatever needs to be moved, because I want to be in the right place with my life. Stand with me. Father, we celebrate you tonight. And as we step into this place of worship, we're going to run across the threshold of the column because we believe that you are strong enough to keep every promise that you've ever spoken over our lives. We believe, God, in Zechariah nine twelve when you said that you will repay every trouble with two blessings. you're going to do it whenever you ask us to stand in a place of having less it's because you're trying to position us into a place of receiving more we believe god that you will establish our lives in your favor as we walk in obedience with a heart of gladness may it be so let's worship together in jesus name